ride with me in my foul life. Podcast world, what's up? Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Thank you all so much for all of the support, all of the downloads, all of the subscribers, all the ratings, all the reviews, all the direct messages. Keep them coming. We want to know who you want to hear as our guests, what topics you want covered. Is it duck calling instruction? Is it concealment? Is it your favorite flyway, your favorite outfit, or is it a gear review? Let us know what you want to hear. We take all recommendations very seriously, and we will get to them as they come in. Today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Federal Premium Black Cloud, the absolute best waterfowl ammunition ever invented, ever contrived. Whether you're hunting specks in California, mallards in the flooded timber of Arkansas, big Canada geese on the Yellowstone River in Montana, it does not matter what species you're chasing. Black Cloud will get the job done. Less cripples, almost zero cripples. And just having that confidence of every single time you pull the trigger of your Benelli, that bird's going to fall and your lab's going to bring it back. That's what we're in it for, guys. No cripples, no suffering. And that's exactly what Black Cloud does for us, as well as the new design and the new WAD system and the new flight stopper. It is so clean. It can shoot through all of your ported choke tubes now. And I'm telling you, from experience all throughout the past five seasons, it performs day in and day out. Federal Premium Black Cloud, please support the partners and sponsors that support us. And today's episode of the Foul Life Podcast is also brought to you by Oakley Eyewear. Whether you're a tactical shooter, a hunter, a fisherman, a bicyclist, a BMX guy, it does not matter. Oakley is the leader in eyewear, prescription eyewear, safety eyewear, tactical eyewear. There's a reason why our military uses it. If you look at law enforcement agencies all over our country, there is a reason why they depend day in and day out on Oakley sunglasses and Oakley eyewear to protect their vision. It is so important being a hunter and a conservationist to be able to see what mother nature has to offer every morning. We do never want to take a chance of our vision being affected. And that's why we choose to team up with Oakley. Thank you Oakley for supporting our culture and the lifestyle of the American hunter. We truly appreciate it and we do not take it for granted. So check out Oakley at all of their dealers across the country And you know you can find them online at oakley.com, O-A-K-L-E-Y. The story is amazing, and so is the entire product line. Oakley, thank you very much. Federal Premium Black Cloud, thank you very much. Let's get on with today's episode. I want to talk a little bit today about pretty much how 90% of the people in the country hunt. Um, I love to hunt public property. I'm, I'm very humbled that I get to hunt a lot of private property. And I really like the idea of having a balance and a mix of it. And today's guest, Tom Sabini and his son, Sam Sabini. Tom is about what, 60? 60 this year. 60 this year. And Sam is 27. Father and son, they're both almost six foot eight or six foot five or something. They're really, really tall, which is really intimidating when you're standing next to them in a picture. If you want to see a picture of us, there's one on our Instagram at Foul Life TV right now of us by a Traeger during a youth hunt out at the Canvasback Duck Club, Gun Club out in the Stillwater Marsh of Nevada. And that is where these two hunt. They spend a lot of time hunting public property on the Stillwater public area, as well as the private area of the Canvasback Gun Club. They are very humbled and lucky to have a membership out there. I've been invited out there to hunt on several occasions. It is heaven on earth for the duck hunters. So, Tom, Sam, welcome. Thanks for having us, Chad. Yeah, thank you. You're wearing a, a Nevada we're fly, We're flying the colors for TJ Bruce today, man. He's, he's 0-10 on Nevada baseball. We need a win today. How are they 0-10? I don't know. I can't figure it out. They got talent. They got good coaching. Um, 
They're just not putting plates, you know, not putting runs across the plate. Have you been up to Piccoli to watch them yet? Oh, yeah. A lot of airs? No, no, just uh, not a lot of drilling the ball, not a lot of putting it in the outfield. Really? Yeah. So their offense needs some serious help. They got to score runs. You got to score runs, you want to win a game. Yeah, I was talking to Rebilio the other day, and it's tough on people around this community when you and our baseball doesn't go good. Oh, it's because they've had some good runs. They sure have. They sure have. You know, they're, they're they just got to tighten up their laces and uh, and just go to work. You know, relax. Probably they're probably all a little bit uptight too. Did you play baseball? I did not. Basketball. I play, No, I played a little city league softball. Did you? That was pretty fun. You ever hit a bomb? A couple. Got into it, huh? A couple. What about this girl that your son's kind of seeing now? I don't know. I haven't heard much about her. I uh, I saw her at the restaurant bar a while ago, and I, I could kind of tell something was cooking, but I don't get any details. I don't ask me questions. If cooking is meant to be an acronym for texting with your right and your left thumb as much as a person could possibly <laughs> text, I've never seen anything like it. Like, I'm talking like daily conversation going on. The love bug has got Sammy, huh, Sammy? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. It's new. We'll see. Yeah, you like her though, huh? Yeah, she's a cool girl. What's the main thing you like about her? And I know one of them is because she's what six seven. She's tall. She's six one. Six one. She's a basketball stud. Is she? Uh, she works with you. Yes. Here's the question about a girl that's coming into a relationship with a guy like you: Is does she know how much you hunt and how much you fish and how much you guide and how much you outfit? Is she aware of? The lifestyle of the gypsy they call Sam Sabini? Yeah, she is. I've always been open with her about that. And she knew that when we were just friends working at the restaurant. And so far, she seems to be okay with it, which is a new thing for me. So I'm pretty excited to see what happens. And I think she likes the outdoors and the idea of us cooking wild game and hanging out and barbecuing and doing all the things we do that duck camp involves and our lifestyle involves. And she's excited to travel around with me a little bit maybe and see where things go. Have you ever wanted that in your life? Do you have that with Kim? Are you one of those guys, Tom, that, you know, some people say couples that hunt together stay together. Some guys have, hey, that's boys time and I like to be with my boys. Is there a balance? Um, is is it something to where, you know, like you have Lee and Tiffany out there that hunt together all of the time mm -hmm. and they're married. They're together all the time. Then they're on the road and they both love it and they, you know, they have a great relationship. Were you ever, you and Kim ever like that? Is she into it or did she just go once in a while to make sure... You know, I know that she'll like go out there and take note of the inventory of boats and boat motors and decoys. And, and then she understands where all the paychecks are going, right? Yeah, she's uh, she's pretty good at it. Yeah, she does like going. Um, you know, obviously, she went a little bit more with me before we started having a family. And and she's a she's a tough person. She'll throw a sleeping bag down, sleep on the ground. But uh, she she lets us get away, you know, and I think it gives her a break back in town, too. You know, when we're when we're out there. But she she probably shows up about three or four weekends out of the duck season at, at duck camp to eat your cooking or what does she do out there? Does she hunt? No, she claims that she's a guest and she doesn't do anything and she likes it that way. She doesn't do anything. Well, she just, you know, kind of hangs out and she'll kind of prep a little food for us. But we, we've kind of made it clear that it was our cabin and it was our club a long time ago. So she, when she gets there, she says the guest is here. And, you know, guests don't do very much. No, they're not supposed to, right? <laughs> That's correct. Roll we, the red carpet out for her. <laughs> right. What is, where, where does the history out there start with you guys? Did you start hunting the public area? Did you get invited to a, 
a hunt on the canvas back one time? Yeah, you know, um, going back even a little bit deeper, my dad had an airboat, and we used to hunt the uh, Humboldt Sink back in the 70s, and so that's where duck hunting kind of got into my blood. And uh, when we were younger kids, we'd go on the uh, west side of the club and we'd poach it, you know, we'd sneak in and shoot a couple birds, and we knew it was an exclusive club. And then in the early 90s, uh, my dad, we were invited out as a guest uh, with a guy named Bill Bowden, and uh, he took my dad out there, and the rest was history. My dad came home, and he's like, we're buying a place out there. And uh, we started hunting it and uh, became members in 92 and uh, just have enjoyed it immensely ever since then. What makes it so special, in your opinion, to where, I mean, 92, that you're looking at 2092 to 2002 is 10 years, to 2012 is 20 years. You're looking at 28 years. Yeah. Is that good math? 28 years, and you guys have been members. Are you a math guy? No, but I was born in 93, and I'm 27. So 28 years, man, you're young. I was born in 91, so I'm only two years older than you. So you're looking at a long tenure, this place, with your dad, and then you be, you know, you know your, yeah. your membership out there. Is, is Does it ever get old to you of going to the same spot, of seeing the same cabin, of seeing the same people? No, it doesn't. It, it does not. It uh it has excitement every time. Even if you go out there and don't have a great shoot, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have some uh, great food, some wines. We're going to hang out together. Um, and then all it takes is one phone call from somebody that shot a few days before you, and they say, hey, new bird showed up. And it's like on. And you're like, get out of my way. I got to get out there. you know. And you get excited for the draw system. You get excited to see the guys you hunt with. It's, it's really a complete gem in northern nevada i mean you know we're duck hunting in the desert it is an oasis isn't it it is it's it's really crazy and you know when i've taken guests out there i've uh tried to tell them what to expect when they got there you know you're gonna you're gonna look at a, at a compound that has little cabins where guys get in there and, and play cards and and have a couple cocktails and make food and stuff and and then you got a guy that's got almost like a brand new home you know so it's 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 real wide wide spectrum of people and and it's just a, it's it's hard to describe but it's really really cool and it's been a great thing for me and my family that's what i love about what you guys have is that you guys get to hunt together and sammy goes away he's getting ready to go to florida for tarpon guiding then you go to alaska with jd for salmon guiding and then you're back here in October and it frees up the entire duck season for you and more than likely you two are going to be together out there you know, come Tuesday night and you hunt on Wednesday mm -hmm. and then come, you come back Wednesday night, work on Thursday, kind of work on Friday, but usually that ends about one or so. And then you're back on the pavement to get to the dirt road that goes out to that part of the, the state. Right. I mean, that's yeah. kind of how a duck hunter's week goes when you're, oh, yeah. when you're hunting. And the thing about that area, what I started off this podcast with is that you can, you know, if the birds aren't on, you know, using the club, which they usually are, but you usually have a pretty good shot at them, pretty good odds of at least seeing some birds and having an opportunity to work them. But then you have a lot of flooded acres of the public area of Stillwater, which is all public area. It's right up against the Stillwater Refuge, which is all closed off, and it is just that, a refuge for birds. But it's at the base of the Stillwater Mountain Range, which is a beautiful backdrop, especially when they're snow-capped, which there hasn't been a whole lot of that this year. But it's just, I don't know if you could paint a prettier picture to kill a duck or a goose. And when I first started 
in the industry with Avery, one of the things that really turned the CEO and founder, Tom Matthews, at that time of Avery back in the day was when I would turn in footage or pictures, it had these mountains behind us. Whether we were out here killing geese on the Opio Ranch and you'd have these mountains mm -hmm. or you're out by the Stillwaters or wherever we were, you always had a backdrop that was different than what a Tennessee or a Mississippi Delta or an Arkansas flooded timber duck hunter was used to seeing. And a lot of the companies, even at, especially at that time, now you have a lot more companies that have ventured out and there's more of that. Even in waterfowl, there's more waterfowl-based companies out west. There's a lot more dealers out here. There's a lot more action out here. I think that waterfowl hunting, as far as like the footage and the content and the assets that you see, you see more mountains now. But at that time, a lot of people weren't used to seeing a bunch of it. There wasn't a whole lot of highlighting going on in the 80s and the 90s of you know, places like Montana or Eastern Washington or places mm -hmm. where there were mountains. You know, the Butte Sink has always been good in California and there's a little mountain range down there called the Sutter Buttes, but it's nothing like up here, you know, when it's really, when it's, I mean, it's a freaking photographer's dream. Yeah, It's visually stimulating a lot of the times, clouds, the peaks of the mountains poking through them fog sets in and it starts to break and you see those mountains off in the distance when you're seeing swans that are flying against that mountain range and then big white bodies you know what i mean it's like oh, yeah. it's stimulating right yeah it is you know the still waters are absolutely beautiful and uh the sunsets out there you know are epic i've just got picture after picture after picture on my phone of the sunsets and you know we know right when the whistle's over when shooting time's done because if the sun is up right when it touches off the end of Stillwater Peak, unload your gun, it's over. It's it's a it's a cool little measurement. It really is. It really is. It's a neat, it's a very neat place. And what's, you know, Sammy can touch on this too, is when we were out there a couple of weeks ago and seeing the new generation of the seven, eight, nine, ten year olds. You know, I remember being out there when I was 20, 22, and John David was, you know, 12. Right. Right. And then Katie was 10. And then you saw those kids running around. And I was just a kid, kind of. And I was so oblivious to the fact that, you know, I really didn't even know what was going on at the time. I just knew that it was the canvas back. But then when you consistently get invited or go there, you see really how special the place is from, you know, City Hall, the road signs, the dog cemetery, all of the different signs out in the marsh to show you where you're at, the blinds, all of the off-season work, all of the dinners like you're talking about, poker tournaments, pheasant shoots, sporting dog events out there. I mean, that place is a, a, really, it's a gym that you would, ne and it's been around forever. Was it 1928? Yeah, I think 1928, the old boys got the uh, got the property and, and that's when it started. And it's really neat inside our clubhouse, which we call City Hall. There's a lot of black and white uh, photos there with the old Model A's. And these guys are wearing leather boots up just below their knees and, you know, wool caps. And, I mean, they're out there getting it done. And, and the conditions were probably just the same or if not a few few worse conditions in the weather in the weather in the winter. But uh, it's it's been there a long time. It's got a lot of history. What do you think, Sammy? Are you, did you grow up as one of those kids I'm referring to, you know, running around the the dirt roads of the canvas back club. Yeah. I mean, I was like, you're saying on the youth hunt, I was really thinking about all the time that I got to spend out there and boy, it made it seem like it went fast where suddenly I was the person in charge. That was a little scary, but yeah, I mean, I, my earliest memories out there, are three, four years old, driving power wheels around the compound and shooting BB guns and then graduating to getting to go on hunts with my dad and then him getting me a shotgun and shooting my first duck with him and my uncle Paul and, it was, 
I felt like I grew up out there. I learned to drive out there. I learned how to run a boat. I learned how to back a trailer up. I learned how to do all the things that I'm still doing today in life and in hunting. Yeah, and I think that that's a lot. There's a lot to be said about that when it comes to the opportunity. You know what I mean? It's like without mentorship, there there's pretty. it's pretty hard to get into hunting. Mm-hmm. You have to be at least around somebody that does it if it's an uncle if it's a, a a friend of a buddy or if it's a friend of your dad's or if it's your dad hopefully that you know you that you get in the woods it's we take it for granted a lot when you travel as much as i do and you guys do you know not i don't know how much you guys travel as far as duck season because if i was a member of the canvas back i probably would never leave there but it's amazing how many people don't hunt that don't know about it that don't get it that don't ever even have the chance to be introduced to it and I was talking with Tyler Jordan on this podcast at Realtree about how his brother, who's a lot younger than him, his dad had some kids later in life, Mr. Bill Jordan, that there's only like one other kid in his whole classroom that hunts and fishes and gets it, right? So you think about that. That's in rural Georgia. And when you start talking about cities that are further away from a place, Canvasback's an hour and a half from here. I, I mean, it'd be it'd be pretty interesting to see a study on how many kids in elementary school actually have, you know, go to hunter safety or or introduced to the Mm -hmm. outdoors in that fashion. Right. So when you start thinking about what Sam just said about backing up a trailer and driving a boat and driving a truck and shooting a gun and learning gun safety and learning ethics and morals and respect and how to process a bird, clean a bird, eat a bird, cook all of the stuff that goes into this mentality of a hunter and provider. I mean, think about that. You're literally on a compound. It's like, David Koresh has this compound that's just meant for duck hunters, right? I mean, that is right. the coolest thing that I don't, I'm not trying to say that it's like Waco, Texas, and that y'all are crazy, but we are crazy. Duck hunters are freaking nuts. We're nuts about it. I mean, you you hear stories all the time about separate bank accounts and, and shit, you know, that people have to really, really control their spending habits because we're gear nuts. We can never have enough. Our decoys will work fine, but we have to get the latest and greatest. Or oh, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like we're crazy people. It's a compound. The Canvasback Duck Club is a literally a cult of duck hunters, and they start to infiltrate that place. You know, in October, September a little bit, and then in October it gets bigger and better. And then by some Friday nights, you'll have every cabin with a light on and smoke coming out of a barbecue and wine bottles being opened. People getting ready for that draw the next day. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Think about the, what's going on out there and how special it truly is, especially in a place that nobody would ever guess Nevada had something like that. It's in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, like I was going to say, when you're driving a guest out there, you're, I'm trying to tell them where this place is. And they're like, they're kind of looking at you like, what? And I'm like, it's almost like a little city. And then you come around that last corner on the road and you see all them lights and you're like, yeah, my boys are there tonight. And e- even if you just go by yourself, you're not taking a guest, maybe your son's doing something else or, or off on another venture, you can always go out there, pull in, and go to numerous cabins of all your friends, and they're all the same. They're showing you their new gear. They're talking about, hey, let me show you what I got in the garage. You know what I mean? We're, we're just like little kids, man. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a cult. It really is. Like If you think about what a cult is, they're brainwashed. Is a duck hunter brainwashed? Well, it's arguable, right? I mean, by you, choice, you, by choice, we <laughs> right. brainwash ourselves right. into letting these little, if you go look at that trailer out there and all of our marketing, it's, we merely exist in a duck's world. They control our move. I mean, they get us to do 
really dumb shit, like wake up at three in the morning and break <laughs> ice or cut a hole with a chainsaw or, you know, like stand in line to p- pick a little pill with a number on it to put it on a board and, and then go out and get in a boat and freeze your ass off. And, and you made a comment about those pictures of the black and white, you know, thank God for technology and innovation and the product that we're lucky enough to hunt with. We're really, you know, a lot of people will say we're living in the golden age of duck hunting. We've got a lot of birds. We got great conservation efforts. We have unbelievable technology and, and research going into the product, right? Decoys have left, never looked more real. Boat motors have never been more dependable. Boats have never been faster. You can hunt all day in this under, you know, whether you're layering up or whatever garment you have with the, the breathability of it and windproof and waterproof and insulation. I mean, think about it. Mm-hmm. We're living in the golden age and now you go out there and you're like, man, I'm freaking everything I'm doing is wrapped around these ducks and not, not doesn't mean that you have to kill a seven bird limit, which we have a liberal limit here in Nevada, but think about like, there's nothing bad that can go on as long as you're ethical and safe, right? Safety will screw up a good time. Anything you do in life, especially hunting, you hear these stories of guns Mm -hmm. going off or bad things happening. That is one way to end a career in a heartbeat and ruin the time and the experience. But you think about the gun club and the canvas back like you're out there at nine in the morning and you're thinking like, man, how fun is tonight going to be? And then you're like, oh shit, I better pinch myself. There's canvas bags. Oh wait, there's some teal. Wait, there's some, oh, there's sprig. Look at this. I mean, it's like Mm -hmm. the mixed bag of hunting. Then you got swans, you got lesser Canada's, greater Canada's, a speck once in a while, snows once in a while. I mean, think about what you get to experience out there. It's truly a cult. You're like literally living on this compound and you're drinking this water. You're drinking the water, right? Of being a duck hunter. You're like, man, I got the fear of missing out if I don't go out there. And even when the weather doesn't, you know, cooperate, it's still the place to be. No question. No question about it. It's just, just a great time. I just know that from Friday at noon till Sunday at noon, if we decide to shoot Sunday night, you're just going to have a good time. You know, it's, 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 it, you can't, you can't make it up. You couldn't write it any different. How does it work? What, what do you how does a membership work at the canvas bag? The the property and the there's 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 parcels out there that you can buy from an existing member, and that parcel might have a dwelling on it, right? That's correct. correct. So so there's uh, I think we're down to maybe 150 memberships. They do not sell additional memberships. If you want one, you have to purchase it from someone that existing you know holds the certificate and owns the membership. What that comes with is typically what they have which is maybe a cabin, a single wide, a double wide, uh, whatever they have on that, on that lot that's been designated to them. Uh, you then pay your annual dues and you're off to the races. And you, you, when you buy a membership, you, you, let's say that I wanted to buy your membership and you were in the business of selling it. Sam's moving to Alaska to, you know, do his thing up there at the salmon. I buy your membership, does it automatically come with the dwelling? Yes. And that, that you and I negotiate what that cost is. So a blank membership cost, there's a certain value to it. And, um, then depending upon what the dwelling is, how nice it is inside, how big of garage, some guys, when they retire, they don't have uh, sons or, or nephews or anybody that they pass the membership onto. When they sell it, they sell the boat, the decoys, shotgun shells, everything comes with it, you know, stocked. And then there's some guys that, that, you know, sell it in a different fashion. So if I become a member and I buy, let's say that I bought your membership and you have a parcel or all parcels, if you have one membership, which some guys have two, 
some families have two, whatever. Are all parcels the same exact size or are they broken up into different sizes? No, they're all divided in different different uh, sizes, different lots, different cul-de-sacs, different locations in the club. And I really don't know exactly how that all got divided, but I think it was the old boys that got started in there and said, this is my lot, and they put their dwelling on it, and then they kind of carved out their own because some are pretty good size and some are a little bit smaller than others, but um, all hold the same value as far as the the – membership value is all the same to all of them. Everyone's equal. And what can I do if I bought that membership this year, Tommy? Can I tear down your dwelling because I have a vision for my own? And does that have to be board approved? Do I have to bring a set of blueprints out there and get approved like you would have to with the county here? Do you have to pull a permit from the county out out there? Does it all work to say you're in the construction business and engineering? How does that work? Yeah, it is. Um, you, uh, You can mow down whatever's there and any new construction because we are in Churchill County you have to get a building permit. Churchill County building permit is really nice, a pleasure to work with. I'm currently working on a cabin for a member out there and they've been easy to work with. They help you with the guidelines. So now you go to the board and you put put your proposed project in front of the board and they have an approval process. Uh, one of the, one of the main uh, items is the height restriction. You know, we can't have guys building two and three story buildings and just towering over everybody. Although, there is a couple of them out there that were grandfathered in years ago. And uh, they have a little process. They have some uh, setbacks on the lot line because we want to make sure we're always maintaining a fire safety issue um, so we don't want to build right on top of each other. But uh, everybody uses really good common sense, and I've not heard of anybody struggling on any new construction. Is there anything that you would tell somebody, Sammy, if I came in I sat down in a negotiation with you and your dad about your guys' place out there, you're moving to Florida, he's done hunting. Is there anything that you could ever tell me that a reason why I wouldn't want to be a member out there? Can you think of anything off the top of your head? Is there any negative or pessimistic thought that goes into being a member at Canvas Pack? And I'm talking specifically the Canvas Pack because I don't know of any other place in Nevada like it. We have the Six Pack, which is completely different, but I don't know of another one in the state. The Butte Sink has some very historic duck clubs. There's duck clubs across duck country. This is not duck country. You know, it's not known as that, which it's very ducky out there. But is there anything that you would sit across the table and go, look, I mean, you know, you're going to have some good days. You're going to have some bad days hunting, hunting. But here's the shit you got to worry about. The sewer sucks. You the, you can't drink the water. You can't. Is I mean, is there anything that is bad? There's nothing to it that's bad in my mind, really. I mean. Everyone out there is a really good person, and even if maybe you don't get along with someone over a small issue, it's it's all the same. Everyone's there the same thing at the end of the day. And like my dad was saying, I think half the people that are out there are just out there to be together and cut up and drink and hang out and cook. And when they go duck hunting, it's a bonus. I mean, that's how it is for me. And there's really nothing in my mind that I would ever try to turn anyone away from it. So we're a member now. I'm a member, and you're going to take me through and show me what's getting ready to go down. I'm totally ignorant to what happens out there. Is there a learning process? The learning curve is there. I get it. There's you gotta you gotta have somebody show you how to access and navigate these waters, the boat ditches, the ramps. How where are the blinds at? Are they really forthcoming and welcoming when it comes to a new member coming out there and 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 showing them the ropes? Or is there a lot of secretiveness going on of like hey man you know you don't you, you don't i'm going to show you some of the ropes but i'm not going to show you where the ducks really like to be kind of attitude no i mean everyone's really forthcoming and 
there's a class that every new member or new shooting rights holder has to go to where they kind of give you the general rules of the club and stick around and they show you a few of the different boat launches and kind of give you the general idea of how things go. But as far as gaining information, I mean, there's always some secrecy. We're hunters, no different than fishermen. Like they're all a little bit liars, but we have awesome maps of the whole property that have been taken from an aerial view that make it super easy to show where you need to go or how you need to get to a certain place. There's a lot of great signs as well as the people that are out there. Great. Uh, Dave Stanley, the president, John Carrington, the caretaker are two of the most knowledgeable people I know of that area. And they have no problem telling you exactly where to go or what to look for and when to turn. And sometimes even taking you out there themselves to help you show it. And that's another thing is a lot of the guys that do get into it as new members come from friends of friends. So luckily they've hunted out there together or they've had friends um, that they hunt with currently. I mean, we've had some friends that have joined in the last five or six years. And a lot of times when my dad wasn't there, I would spend a lot of my time hunting with them just to show them where to go or what I thought, how I would do it. And is your, kind of start to gain an idea of it you know you're a new member and you're i'm out there and I'm, I'm learning the ropes i'm taking a lot of time am i allowed in the off season to go learn the property tom yeah you are allowed to <clears throat> we just asked that there's some just a few restrictions that go around the uh the season but that is one of the greatest ways to learn it is to get out there in the off season we have some uh, work weekends that are coming up here this spring we have uh, a lot of volunteers that come out do little work projects, tighten up fence, work on uh, blinds, just take care of the take care of the club. And when you go out on those work weekends, you really take in a little knowledge. You go, hey, you know, I haven't been over here in a long time, and, and this marsh changes a lot. These tules grow like you can't believe how fast they grow. So the ponds change and the water distribution changes a little bit. So even as a member for for Sammy and I, um, we're excited to get out there at the start of the season. You know, we'll go early September, go shoot some dove, and then go jump in the boat or go get on a side-by-side and go drive around in glass, and you'll be surprised how much the marsh changed from last year. And and you just got to stay up with it because it's always it's always different. Uh, for example, when I when I joined in, in 93 with my dad, there was a pond called Cardinal, and it was the number one draw. It was the hottest thing. I mean, if you drew the below number... You were going in there and shooting some greenheads. As years went by, it kind of became this no man's land where nobody hunted. This year again, it's hot again. So it's it's always a little changing. Is that marsh. because of the? Sorry, I'm not interrupting. Is, is that because of the water level? Is that because of the invertebrates? Is that because it went dry for a while and it came back stronger? Yeah. Or did you did you guys plant it? Because you do get the plant out there. That's yeah. one of the benefits of privacy. Private property is you can plant your own food, right? Oh uh, yeah, all the above. And we've gotten a lot better. We as in this, uh, our caretaker John Carrington does. There's no one that knows water management better than this guy, and. When you see how he's out there with a drag line digging a new ditch and setting up a pump and putting head gates in, and he says, hey, you know, he warns the members, hey, there's this is going on. We're going to let water in here. So we try to distribute that water as the migration comes through and saturate those areas that have dry food in them, and it just raises it right up in the water, and you got to beat the ducks to get – got to beat them to get them out of there, you know. So there's, there's always a little ever-changing, and our condition, our snowpack you know, has a lot to do with that. I mean, 2015, we were walking out to a pond. 
we were walking out to an area that was a pond and we're shooting honkers out of green grass that normally is two and a half feet deep. Yeah, and that has a lot to do with obviously the natural flow, like you're saying, the right. snowpack. But you guys also have the ability with you guys can pump, right? You guys oh, have yeah. wells and you can yeah. pump. And uh, again, this is all, it's all relative. You know, you go back to how we started this talk is, and we're going to get into it, but across, you know, a mile from where we're talking right now is guys, you know, sleeping in areas that are designated for ca- overnight camping, trying to be it's, the first to the boat ramp. And it's like, you know, and they're trying to get to the spot to where they saw the biggest congregation. And I don't want people to come away from this thinking that I'm sitting here talking to some multi multi millionaires that are, that are snotty duck. You guys hunt the public area a lot too. And it's an oh, yeah. off day at the club, which is holidays, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, two, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. You guys are hunting the public area. If it's a if it's a vacation, you take a week off or whatever. That public area can be unbelievable duck hunting as well. So, but with you know with what we're talking about, we're talking about the ability to do things to have a real duck club, and that's why the members are paying what they're paying to have, buy a membership. Their yearly dues go of helping with utilities and work days and and gear that's needed or material, whatever. Mm-hmm. So the snow packed and you got the, the, the ability to farm and there's is like John Carrington is a genius when it comes to, you know, what, how long does a pond need to stay dry? How long do you let the water sit on it? When do you raise it from two inches to five inches to, to a foot? You know what, you know, what kind of water levels do you have to have to attract bluebills and canvas backs and ring necks and the put and you know the diver ducks and then where do you where are we going to kill most of our teal we're going to get them over this and this is why we built this like you know this is why we planted it the way we did kept the water levels the way we did all of that stuff comes from having the ability to source that to a guy like john but john is not a normal caretaker this guy is probably he's older than you i think yeah he's probably, and he's been uh, there since he was we won't eight. want to say how many years he's probably got a couple on me but he's, and he's been there since he was 18 right yeah i i believe his dad was part of the club and he know? grew up he's been there since he was 18 years old yeah. uh, close to 50 years yeah he's been he's been in the canvas back and used and this guy is the one that is is making it what it is really he's he lives there first oh, yeah. of all he lives there year round yeah, he lives there with his family. And I mean, he's the first guy, like Sam said, he, he he's one of the first guys to walk over to the map and show you, hey, park right here, go down this ditch, make a right-hand turn, you'll fall right in that pond. You know, so he's, there's no secrets with him. And he's helpful. Um, he, he He's such a gentleman that uh, on our opening weekend, he doesn't even hunt. You know, he's there to help somebody get a boat motor started that didn't, you know, get preparation for it at the start of the season, or he's there to help somebody gets unstuck if it's an, if it's a nasty weather day. Um, he's just there. He's just like our concierge. So what happens now, Sammy? We remember I've spent the whole off season going into my first duck season at the canvas back. It's October opening day in Nevada is usually the first Saturday, second Saturday of the month. The goose season opens a week after that. You hear there's a lot of local ducks. The refuge had a good year. A lot of locals stayed there. They had a good breeding season, a good hatch, right? So we're excited as hell, right? You're driving down there from Reno. You got an hour and a half in the truck. Tell me where we go from here. Like, what are you going to tell me? Here's what you want to do, and here's what's going to happen. When you get there on Friday, you're going to do this. You're going to unpack your groceries. You're going to get your gear ready. You're going to get your boat started. You're going to make sure all of your fuel levels are there. Your dog's going to get fed. Everything that you do as a duck hunter where are you going to tell me now? Wake up in the morning, and now what happens on opening morning to, for a new member? On opening morning, it's one of the busiest days at the Duck Club, no different than anywhere else hunting-wise. Um, 
everyone's going to wake up. The draw is going to be about two hours, two hours or two and a half hours, I believe, before legal shooting time. Which will give everyone plenty of time to get there, and there'll be a big congregation in the city hall. There's coffee, and sometimes people bring snacks. Everyone hangs out. It's a good time. A lot of those guys haven't seen each other since the end of January last year, so there's a lot of talking and camaraderie going on, catching up on life. And then when everyone gets there and it's time to go, they whistle real loud and John will give his duck report, give people like my dad was saying the new information of where the club may be moving water or where he's seen more concentrations of divers or geese or puddle ducks. And then everyone lines up and we go through this big long line and draw little pills out of an old bingo machine actually. And then there's some other pills that we've added to it because we have more than 75 members and after that, everyone gets their pill and they start counting from one. And if you get the number one pill, you get your choice of a blind. And the blinds are, there's places with blinds, places without blinds, but you get your choice of a spot and you get to pick it for either the morning hunt, which runs from legal shooting time till noon or the afternoon hunt, which runs from noon till legal shooting time. And I think that's one of my favorite things about that club is that there's always the ability to go hunt different places. You're never stuck to one spot on the club. So you you get in line and you, you John's turning the old bingo ball. What is that? Just a bingo cage? It's a bingo cage. Yeah, it's an old bingo cage, and he and it pops up in the hole. You grab your pill. It's a little wooden thing with black numbers on it. Let's say you get there. How many members? Hundred and fifty. How many are there average on opening day? Are there eighty? I mean, it, probably it, pretty close. Eighty. There's probably eighty members. Eighty, and then, dr- 80 draws, yeah. and then everybody's got their sons and, and you know. And there's 150 six, people. And it's about seven thousand acres, sixty-six hundred acres, something like that. Yeah, yeah, a little so. over six thousand. Got a lot of property. It's a big landscape. Good, good size footprint. You get a good draw. Let's say you're in the top ten. Do you? It's opening day. Are you relying on John or Dave Stanley? Are you guys trying to get some knowledge of? What they're seeing, or have you guys been out there now? You tell me, get out there 48 hours early. Get out there on Wednesday if you can and get some binoculars and put some time in of seeing where the ducks are working. Is that is that fair to say that even though it's a duck club and even though it's private, you still have to scout, or do you just go out there and they just come to wherever you're at? Yeah, no, scouting's always number one in hunting, no matter where you are, I think. And we're fortunate enough to have a three-story tall scouting tower that's right next to City Hall that you can look out and see a good majority of the club and honestly that's one of my favorite things to do i always try to get out there either a couple days before or even just the day before i'm hunting with enough daylight to spend some time up on the tower and look over the different areas and ponds and as you stay there year after year you start to recognize when you see birds kind of disappear between the tule line exactly what part of the pond or which pond they're going into and i like to drive all around scouting is one of my favorite things to do in the morning or the day before a hunt and drive the whole edge of perimeter of the club on the road system and stand up on my truck and look around or drive up to the public area and look around. You, you definitely still have to scout on the club. And then second to that, you still have to get that low pill or hope that maybe nobody else saw those ducks going into where you saw them so you can get them with the high pill. So if you, you're in line now and you got the, your low pill, you say, all right, you hand it to John and Dave, right? They're the, usually the guys that are going to manage the draw if they're there. And you say Sabini Five. Do you guys have your pond named after your we, family yet? We don't have a pond yet. You don't have I mean, one. Yet. We 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 probably got to get a little more skin in. But most of the ponds there. are named after old members, huh? That's yes. correct. I don't want to give away any secrets here because I and I don't even know if there are any on it. But there's some really there's some ponds where I would pick over other ones. 
but I don't know the club like you guys do. But like, are you sitting there going, traditionally, we always hunt this pond on opening day? Is that is that how it works with you guys? Do you tell us, now I'm a new member, are you saying, look, if you get a, a good draw, here's where I would go on opening day. Historically and traditionally, it's stout. Is that fair to say, Tom, that you can really count on one certain place in the club to, to yeah. shoot good early? Yeah, there's uh, there's a couple of main ponds that they, uh, they're very popular. Uh, they have some good wood blinds in them. And we have a lot of older members that, you know, they need to... Uh, they're not, they're not going to put stuff on their shoulder and pack it, you know, three, 400 yards. So there's some good ponds. There's traditional ponds. Uh, it's one of the things that's really cool is what you, we, you touched on is a lot of the ponds are la- are named after older members. And so, you know, you, Freeman, um, you know, other, other names that were from Fallon. Uh, yeah, we got, the, we got our useful little spots. And, and it's what you, you two and a half hours early seems so early. I mean, not, is this overkill? It's not. It's not because that, that first morning, there's a lot of handshaking going on. Uh, there's a lot of talking, you know, catching up with people. And then just think of all these members back over to their cabin, get that dog. That dog wound up. It's another whole other dimension there. They get more probably more wound up than we do because they know what's coming. And uh, get your dog and your gear loaded up and then get to the boat ramp. Very often at the start of the season, we're waiting at the boat ramp. We're helping each other get their boats in, you know, flashlights are buzzing all around. Everybody's trying to help each other. So, and then it takes some time to get out, figure out where you're going to get set, get all your gear set up, hide your boat. That two and a, a half hu- hours. Huge decoy spreads. What's average? Um, I'm kind of a different eight, for eight, us. Eight, 18 to, yeah, <laughs> we're different. Sam and I are, I'm an 18 to 36 guy. Sam's you know? a seven or eight dozen or you a four guy. <laughs> Yeah, 18, that's a small spread. When I tell him I'm not going to bring that many decoys, and then I still get three bags, he's like, I thought you said you weren't going to bring that many decoys. So it's uh, it's called Stillwater National Wildlife Refuge, Stillwater Public Area. Canvasback's kind of an offshoot of that that was you know purchased the 6,700 acres, whatever it is. But it's called Stillwater for a reason, I'd assume, right? I mean, oh, you yeah. have to have a jerk yeah. string. You can't use spinning wing, mechanical, mojo-style decoys, battery-operated decoys until a certain date, correct? This yeah. December 1st. December 1st. So are, is a jerk string a, a must in everyday life at the Canvasback Club? I mean, even when you see a even when you see a forecast that calls for a breeze, yeah. chances are, I mean, we got so lucky in the youth hunt this year. It almost oh. was too much wind. But it, it's called Stillwater for a reason. I assume there's not a lot of windy days out there that are real, you know, good wind. So it, it, do you need ripples on the water to be successful? Do you guys you believe do. in the jerk string? I, I believe you do. Absolutely. hundred percent. Jerk string goes in the boat every day. Every you know, day. We, we just put it in there, you know, and then we'll, we'll set. And then, you know, then we kind of try to set that out last or we be mindful of where that's going to go. Keep the dog out of the string. And even this year, Sam's perfecting a new jerk string with how many on it? Two and a half dozen. Two and a half dozen on a jerk string. You're going to get a workout on this thing. On one jerk string? Yeah. Is it going a circle? No, it's long, straight. It works good for diver spreads. How many anchors does it have? One. One. And is this a stake that goes down in the ground, or is it just a boat? Is it just an anchor? No, it's a stake. Dude, dude, I've seen your biceps. I don't know. Are you going to be able to pull this thing? <laughs> Hopefully. Huh? Hopefully. I don't know anybody at the club that's that strong to do that. Who would you pick? I mean, Dan Morgan's been kind of working out or riding a bike. And who would you pick out there? Goffentini? He's got ADD too much. <laughs> so the, the, here's some here's some quick name drops and people that 
have never been there and don't know these people, obviously they're going to be like, well, what does that have to do with us listening when we're not even in Nevada to this podcast? But you're going to have buddies in your hunting circle that these people are going to remind you of. Tom, one word answers, two words, three words at the most. Tell me who these people or describe these people that I named. Dave Stanley. Stud. Stellar. Uh, born duck hunter. Sam. Dave Stanley. M.O. Master outdoorsman. Isn't he, he, I've always, he gets so embarrassed when I call him the Renaissance man. Like I've, I learned so much from Dave every time. And the thing that is like, he, I, I think it's safe to say he literally has zero arrogance to him. Like he is a world-class fly fisherman, oh. world-class. And I don't throw that term around and describe Dave Stanley just as somebody that's a good fly fisherman. He is as good as it gets in fly fishing and you would never know it. He's just like, oh, yeah, we'll just go out there and throw a couple of nymphs or whatever. Is he not world-class? There's no question about it. I mean, Stanley Streamer. The that's, Stanley Streamer. That's Dave. And he's uh, he's very humble. He, 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 You know, I went fishing with him last year on the river, and he took me up, and he's just showing me a few little tricks on casting against brush up in the background behind you. And, I mean, he showed me a few things for five minutes. I was dialed. But, it, but it's kind of funny. He, he, he used to own a fly shop. He's a duck hunter. Well, that's I got him to say that on the podcast too. If it came down to it, he's. I mean, the guy is freaking psycho. Like, I'm going to Canada. Well, for most people, that means ten days. For him, it means sixty. I mean, the uh, the legal amount that you can go up there without getting a visa or becoming a, a citizen. He goes and he hunts every freaking day, and he eats ducks and geese every lunch and every dinner. And then I call. He calls me last night, and I'm. I'm thinking, all right, I'm getting in the hot tub, and I literally start turning around. Dave's not calling me unless he wants to go grab a beer or grab something to eat at Bullies or something. He goes, hey, buddy, what's going on? And it ended up being, I go, where are you at? He goes, Fall River Mills. I go, again? It's like the fourth week in a row of the late season that he's hunting specs. He's like, man, I looked at it, and I called three people, and they said the wind's supposed to blow a little bit on Saturday, so I came. I'm like, it's only Thursday. And he's like, well, we're going to give it a shot tomorrow, too. The guy's 60 years old, and he is literally hunting 150 days a year. Think mm-hmm. about that. He is a He's a duck hunter. I But the thing about him is that he can kill sheep and elk and deer and archery, rifle, muzzleloader. He can do it all. So I guess Renaissance man is how I – Renaissance hunter, like what you call the master outdoorsman, right? But he does it in such a quiet way. Even though you can piss Dave off. Dave will get frustrated. I've seen it. Like, I frustrate him if I ask him the wrong question at the wrong time. You just just let it happen. Just let it go. Just let him be. Next guy, Tom, John David Stanley, Dave's son. Uh, a mini-me. You know, he's uh, Sam's good partner in Alaska. Um, the guy is just a ton of fun to be around. And and he's always got a funny, funny little ass comment that – you know, I mean, I'm I'm up there at Kenai River with these guys, with Josh Hayes and all these guys, these Alaska trout fitters and I, 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 Alaska trout guides. And I, I mean, I can't even get this bobber. You know, this indicator just keeps going down. And he just looks at me and goes, hey, slow down. You know, <laughs> just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> There'll be some. Sam, John David Stanley. Um, I mean, one first and foremost, he's one of my best friends and has been a huge mentor to me and hunting in and fishing and particularly in calling. He's one of the best callers that I know and have had the pleasure to learn from because my dad definitely taught me to hunt, but he doesn't blow duck and goose calls much, and that was something I wanted to learn. So you're going to describe John David as a duck caller? 
And a best friend? Best friend. Yeah, duck collar, goose collar. Here's how I describe John David. He's kind of like, he's got the balance of, you look at John David and his reputation precedes him like what you're saying. He's a world champion goose collar. He won the world goose junior. He's placed in the top 10 seven or eight times in Stuttgart in the world duck. He's been runner up. He's won the world meet. He's won every contest known to man outside of those. Right. But here's how I look at him is he's so sweet. Like he always wants to hug you. He always yeah. wants to pick up your daughter. He's a hugger. He's a hugger and he's a <laughs> smiler and he's a fun haver and he's a, Loves to have a cocktail. He loves to cook. He loves to tell a story. He loves to hear a story. Um, he chews Copenhagen and he loves to blow my duck calls way too much, which I kind of if, tried to put a stop to that. But the son of a bitch always finds a way to get my lanyard and to blow. He's like, man, I want to blow that one. He always, I could hide it like literally in a casket six feet under at Mother of Sorrow Cemetery. And a day later, it'll be around his neck and he'll be out in my shop blowing a duck call that I asked him not to blow. But the way that I describe him to everybody, and I hate saying this word, but he's a killer. That dude is a stone cold hunter killer that when you're a hunter, he gets the joy out of all of it. The scouting, the camaraderie, the high fiving, the cooking, the nightlife, the morning life, the donuts, the, all of it. But he is a, he is the best killer, but probably besides his dad. And I've traveled this world and been in all over duck country in Canada and America, Argentina. There's nobody wired like him to kill, mm-hmm. whether it's a turkey, a canvas back, a swan, these new birds that you guys are obsessed with, these sandhill cranes, um, not used Tom, but these guys, the <laughs> dark, yeah, like it's weird. I'm like, don't kill, don't, he's not going to, sh- oh, he just shot it. He just <laughs> shot a crane. He really, he really just did that. But anyway, he, he's a killer. That's how I described Ron. Mm-hmm. He's a lovable. I love him to death. And he's very, uh, what the other thing I love about John David Stanley is how appreciative he is. He doesn't take life for granted and he's very appreciative. He's, he's come into this life with this, with, you know, his wife now, and she's beautiful and she's an artist and she had a family before him and he's taken on these kids like they're his own and they love him. They look up to him the way that they look at him in their eye. You can just see it. Right. So I, it's a weird balance of John David Stanley, the third, is he the third or the fourth? He's the third. It's a weird balance of sweetness. And then he's an absolute stone cold killer. And I know that he's not as mad at him today as he was when he was 25, but I'm telling you that guy guides and fishes to see fish get netted and eaten and to see ducks die and eaten. He is a killer. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that a lot of people aren't. I'm just saying that nobody can kill animals consistently like that guy, in my opinion. Is that fair to say? Sam, you know him as good as anybody. Yeah. No, agreed. I think killers, the word killer has been thrown around before. By who? Well, he'll use it to describe a few other people, but I've have reminded him that it describes him too. I really do. I just look at him like, man, he's just he's a killer. He just when he hunts, he's successful. He's realistic, he's authentic, and he's a killer. Okay, next, David Carrington. John Carrington. I'm sorry, David Carrington works for us at Avery, but John Carrington. Uh gentleman and a uh, great concierge of our marsh. He cares about it. He he puts a lot of skin in the game down there, you know, and he, he's always working. If you need a hand, I've, I've had a couple little repairs over at my cabin where I needed a backhoe, you know, or I'm going to dig a hole. It's going to take me a week. And uh, he's right over there, takes it, helps out. Just he's a gentleman, you know, and, and, and I'll tell you what, he's a duck hunter too. Oh, he's. He'll, he'll sit all day 
to shoot four or five greenheads instead of swinging on a bunch of other ducks that he doesn't really care about. I love that. And, and then there's days he'll shoot the mixed bag, but he is patient. He is a patient hunter, and he'll go out there with his black lab, bag of decoys on his shoulder, and muck it out, and he'll get it done. Yeah, he is. He knows that more. Can you imagine having that knowledge of any one certain? Like, you know your house, and I don't even know if you know. I don't even know my house as good as he knows that marsh, and that's a big area. Like, he knows it inside and out, and so does Dave, but he really, truly does. And he doesn't keep any secrets either. I mean, he'll... He, he, you know, you think, oh the, oh, the guy that's the caretaker, he's got his own spots and doesn't tell anybody any information. It's just the complete opposite. He'll share everything with you, tell you, you know, if you ask him a question, he'll say, you know, that right side of the pond over there on the west side is probably a little bit better to get set up in. You know, he'll give you, and if you listen, you'll hear the clues and you'll get it. Yeah, it's like the game of Clue. You got to pick up on him. He's yes. like dropping them for you. David, or John Carrington, Sam. Uh, he's to me, he's like jack of all trades, MacGyver. He can fix anything and he has everything to fix everything with. And then, other than I think it's something a lot of people don't know, as I've gotten to know him better in the last five or six years, he's actually really funny. He, he really is. And what I, what I like about, I never know how, what he's thinking because he's always got that look on his face where he's, he's like studying. You know, he's not the guy that's like when he walks up and he's watching the kids shoot the trap and the sporting clays this year to get ready for the youth hunt. You look back, you don't even know he's there. You just like, you remember that movie, Mr. Deeds with Adam Sandler, how that dude would just appear out of nowhere and he'd be like sneaky, sneaky. Yes. It's like, whoa, John didn't even see you there. And then, the, and you know, he's got his hands in his pocket and he's kind of just analyzing the layout, right? You ever notice that about him? Whether you're cooking on a Traeger and there's activity going on, he's just always kind of analyzing the layout like a soldier would like if this happens i'm here if this goes down i'm there but he's always this is just my impression of him i've always looked at him like he just analyzes everything and that's what probably makes him a great steward and concierge of the canvas back club and that property and that footprint but i just always have looked at him like he studies and analyzes Mm -hmm. and then He'll say something. It's almost like he's not just going to come out and say, oh, you're, you're, you know, you're shouldering the shotgun. I can already tell and like be a know-it-all right out the bat. He like studies it a little bit and then he'll come up and say, hey, man, if you were, you know, like, hey, if you go down this road, you're not going to get stuck. But if you go down this one, you're probably going to be in three inches of freaking, you know, alkali mud. He, he's just one of those guys that analyzes and then he'd probably be a really good accountant. You know, he's just really slow and intentional. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. In fact, you know, he gives you little tips in the morning, like, you know, hey, watch this. Let's pay attention to that. And it actually happened to Billy and I this year. He said, do not get off the main roads. And and it was right around December. We had about two inches of snow. And, uh, of course, Billy and I, first thing we did, we took a left and went right off the main road. And we started to almost get stuck. And I told Billy, I said, if we get stuck, John will own us. He told us not to get off the roads. And we got lucky and we backed out about three or 400 yards on a road and almost buried it. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't even imagine going back and saying, Hey, can you pull us out? Yeah. I think that he's just, he's so intentional. Like he's not going to fluff it and he's not going to tell you something that's not legit. Like, listen, pick up on the hints, 
and just kind of follow his lead kind of deal. You know, he's already analyzed it. The analytics are already done. Just follow his lead. But there's so many great families out there from the Piccinini's and the Opio's and the Eichelberger's and the Morgan's mm-hmm. and the Goffentini's. And then when somebody, when you lose somebody like you guys did this year with a couple guys, you know, that had been long-term members there, Frazier, mm-hmm. out of nowhere, Ed's gone. That's oh, Very horrible. successful businessman, an awesome family. A guy that his handshake is as good as as, as anything in the world, and Seven Up Bottling Company and his kids and like he's gone like just out of like when I got that call from Dave I was like what and then Rick Elmore, mm-hmm. successful attorney, awesome family just part of the Reno Rodeo and part of Ducks Unlimited and part of Nevada Bighorns Unlimited MBU and just like a, a great steward of our lifestyle and our culture of hunting. Chucker hunter, sheep hunter, goat hunter, deer hunter, antelope hunter, duck hunter, goose hunter. Loved hunting Canada geese. Loved Canada geese. And then you you lose these guys, and it's almost such a tight-knit cult society out there. It it really messes with you guys. It screws things up for a while, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, <clears throat> excuse me. They're truly missed. Um, Ed was a great president of the club for several years. He did a lot of things with uh, Dave and John Carrington that gave us what we have today. And then uh, Rick Elmore was on the backside working with the uh, fish and wildlife on boundary line adjustments and, and rights that we had. And always he, he's always very knowledgeable about our water rights that we got. And he, he was our counsel for the club, or one of them. We have a couple couple good attorneys out there. But, um, yeah, he did a lot of stuff, countless hours of work that he never charged anybody a penny I mean, for. what the Just freak? Me. I mean, how can you be that good in life? To people. Passion. Not even his talent and his passion, but how do, how does it happen to somebody so good that you lose him at 63, 64? It's just like he's still a kid in a candy store hunting. Mm-hmm. He's got, he's got, it's like when I lost my dad, it's like, wait, what the, f-? he didn't even get to meet mm-hmm. his grandkids. You know, he didn't even, he didn't, like everybody says, well, the good die young. And when God's ready to take him home, it's like, I just always ask myself, man, this guy, I know he's hunting up in heaven now, but damn it. It's just like, really? He didn't even get to say bye to him. Yeah, it sucks, soon. right? It just sucks. You just want duck hunters to live forever because they're also, you know, most Ken Hoffman, who passed away last year at 93, he was a unbelievable philanthropist in California, very strong and very, very influential and successful developer in California, Bay Area, Northern Bay Area. Um, he was lucky enough to make a lot of money in his life, but he spent it in, on conservation and California waterfowl and philanthropy. And they're building the flyaway center, you know, down, down by Concord. He, was, he, he built the Concord Youth Center. He's a big part of De La Salle and the athletics and the education there. And then, you know, he bought Rancho Esquan out of Durham and Chico, California, and turned that into what it is now with Habitat, with the help of Harry Merlot and Rock Merlot and the California waterfowl. And he told me one night at dinner, I was lucky enough to have probably five or six dinners with Mr. Hoffman. I got to sit in his office and just learn from him from across his desk. And he told me one day, he goes, I've never met a duck hunter I don't like. And I thought about it and he's like, I might not like everything about them, but down to their core, most duck hunters are good people. And I would say that at the canvas back, that that's, that rings true probably there more as much as anywhere in the world. You know, there's a lot of good people that drive down that road to go into that compound you know, at least three nights a week, every duck season. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. There's a, it's, it's almost to where you think about guys like Ricky Elmore and you think about guys like Mr. Frazier of 
man, it's just like they're gone too soon. When they're living that life of getting to enjoy that all the time with all those good people around them, it just sucks to know that they're gone. It just sucks to me. Like I just, I'm kind of just, you know, be will. I, I, I really to this day can't believe that Rick's gone. It just seems like it's not real to me. He was such a great guy. He was, and he was a, and he was a stud hunter. He hunted his ass off out there. Mm-hmm. He even helped me on a couple of little real estate bumps I had a couple of years ago, and gave me some good advice. And he just really knowledgeable, really knowledgeable, and a good wine drinker too. He was. He, he likes his good red. Oh yeah. What's what do you mean a good red? You know, he he was drinking a lot of that duckhorn. But what makes a good red? Is it the grape? Yeah, and it's the winemaker. It is? Yeah, and, and where the grapes are grown. So what makes Rick Elmore a good wine drinker? He drank good wine or That's he drank I, it as good as anybody? Translated, he drank good wine and he was good at it. He yeah. was good at it. <laughs> yeah. Like to the point to where he would speak a different language? No, no. he I, I never saw him out of line. Never? No, but he always, he, uh, I used to work at uh, Whispering Vine, a local wine store here in town, and he would come in the store and he knew exactly what he wanted and he's a good wine drinker. Are you? Oh, yeah. What's the best wine to drink? Like, let me guess. Is it come in a box or does it have a twist-off cap? <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, there's a couple twist-offs that are pretty good. But Are there? Uh, yeah. Is but... Menage Trois a twist-off? Have you heard of this wine, Menage Trois, that it's been, like everywhere? Have you seen these? Bo- I mean, it's like famous. No. I'm not, I don't, I'm not really into wine. I mean, I know some good wines, but... Menage Trois, yeah, is a wine that is, I believe, a twist-off that's, like, very popular. There's a few good twist-offs. Name one. Ah! Um, there's a couple Pinots I was drinking in Alaska. I don't drink very many of them. Why is wine a good way to... What is it about wine? What is the phenomenon with wine? Like, you drink it, can you drink a lot of it? Or does it always give you a headache because of the sugar content? Is it something that's more of a social alcohol? A lot of history behind it with the wine country of places like Santa Barbara and Napa, California. Why is there such a phenomenal? And I know that France and there's there's good wines all over Europe and Chile and South America. Chilean wines are very popular. Why is there such a phenomenon with wine in a, in in a lot of societies? For me, it brings people together and it brings food together with wine. You know, I mean, if we're going to have go have a cocktail, I'm probably going to have a, a, a whiskey. But wine brings the people closer. We all share it. We all drink out of the same bottle. We bind it together with great foods. And it's, it, I think it goes all the way back to the Roman days of, you know, it, it's, it's the juice of life. That so, extra virgin olive oil, I mean, it's the, those two are the, the, oh, the, flu, the fluids of, of the body. Why is it called extra virgin olive oil why is it I, called virgin in the first place why is it educate me and i love to cook italian know. food i love to cook with a extra virgin wine. but is it because the the olive was never penetrated and that i'm being for real like is it is it because is it, is it because it was never it was r-rated show was there ne- was there never a hole put in the in the think about it is that the only way like the 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 pit of the the pit of the olive 
Is it the first time it was ever squeezed? Is it the first time? Why would it be called extra virgin? You know, I don't know, but I'm going to tell you this. When I get out of here today, I'm going to Google it and I'm going to find out. I'm going to give you your answer. I need somebody in here with a computer and I'm not being, I'm not trying to be nasty, but when you think about virgin, McDonough's song back in 84, 85, whenever that was, a virgin means that there's never been sexual intercourse, that they've never been penetrated. If you think about a, an olive to penetrate it and get the, the olive oil out, it needs to be penetrated. It needs to have a hole to squeeze the juice out of, just like an orange or whatever. I'm just just spitballing, like, is that what it means? That it's, But what makes it extra virgin? Don't know. Couldn't uh, tell you, but I can tell you it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, Tom, can you hear me out there? Can somebody look up extra virgin olive oil and give us a report on what that means? Can you please do that, Tom? Tom. Um, okay. Back to Rick Elmore. Did, why did you get so quiet when I brought up Rick and Ed Frazier? Does it make you sad to know that your friends are gone? Does it disrupt your thinking process when you really think about somebody that has your same blood running through them, not family wise, but passion wise for this lifestyle and the thanks that we get, the homage that we pay of this blessing and this privilege of being a hunter, doesn't it mess with you? Like when people pass away that are hunters and dedicate their life to it, I get so sad internally because they don't get to do it anymore. Now you think of the afterlife and all that. I get it. That's fine. Spirituality and religion and all that. I'm saying, doesn't it mess with your psyche to know that they don't get to do it anymore? And we do, but we get to carry it on for them. Life is so short, Sabini's. Like you just Ugh. think about it and you want to grasp onto it. Like why in the hell do we have to lose somebody at such a young age that meant so much to that part of our life? Think about that. They're gone. They don't ever get to go into that marsh again which I hope their ashes do. And I don't know where Darren or anybody's doing with Rick or Frazier's, but it just bothers me to know that my dad and Rick and all these guys that loved it so much and brought so much joy to so many people like us or mentors or their, whatever it was, they don't get to do it anymore. It just doesn't make sense to me why it has to happen that way. Yeah. Life is it, weird. It's, it's, it can be sad, you know, and there, and, and I learned a long time ago, there was no guarantees and could it have been me? I don't know. Could it have been the guy standing next to me at the draw? I don't know. But it's it just kind of makes you reflect on your own life and, and think of maybe when someone says, hey, you know, duck hunting's kind of slow. Do you want to go? Yeah, I want to go. You know, you just got to get out there and take as much of it in as you can, even on the slow days, because you're there. Because at some point in time, you may not be there again. You know? It's it, But I, I get that. I know that. It's like, you know, it could have been us could have mm -hmm. been, you know, we might not be having this podcast right now because life is precious, but when you're a duck hunter and you have a place like the canvas back and to lose one of your own. And I think there was three people at the canvas back club that passed away this year. One was a, an accident and two were natural. And it's like, not, a, it wasn't a hunting accident. I don't want to sound like that. It was a, a different part of it, but it just, it just, hits me hard when mm -hmm. I know that those guys don't, and you don't have to see them for five years to know what they're thinking and know what they're doing and know where their love and their passion is. Mm -hmm. And then they're freaking, it's just, it blows you. It's bewildering to me. It pisses me off kind of, I don't know. I just kind of saw a change in your demeanor of when, I don't know if you started thinking about Rick or Ed and you've known these guys for so long with as long as you've been a member there, 30 years, 
mm-hmm. almost. It's it's a long friendship. Yeah, it is. It is, and you, you're never going to get to shake their hand in the morning. And and you know, you look for those little highlights in the morning sometimes. And you know, I see Sam and his buddies are over there. They're doing the same thing. You know, they're in their twenties and they're they're shaking hands and talking about their experiences. And and uh, you know, Ed Frazier was just a great guy. Every time he saw you, he came over and shook your hand. Hey, man, how are you doing? Yep. You know, how's your mom? How's your dad? You know, he did, he'd always ask a question that was that was heartfelt, and that's no longer. It, and I know, and that's what bugs me, is that you just want one more, and you never know right. when the last one is. And I'm not trying to be all somber, but that you, when, you know, Sam, as you're sitting there thinking about you're 27, 28 years old, and, you know, and you're your mind's not even in this podcast because you're thinking of freaking this new love and she's coming over to the barbecue tomorrow and going to eat some of this taco bar and you're going to share a Corona or no, that's not a good beer to talk about right now. You're going to share a Dos Equis or a Modelo with her on this Hispanic taco night. And I just see this glimmer in your eye and I, and I love it. It's just, it's so cute. Isn't it, Tom? Oh, I dig it. Uh, You know, Hey, I'm just going to tell you, you know, a lot more than I do. I found that I find out more by not asking by questions. Not, I don't ask. I just watch during the day. I mean, you could be mid-sentence with him and telling him what's getting ready to go down, and he'll just be like, and he just texts so fast with both of his thumbs, and he's just in love. And I see all these, what are they called when you like write these little pictures on a cell phone now? Little emojis. Yeah, the emoji. He's like, he uses all these like purple hearts and happy faces and shit. Burying him. Yeah, just burying him right now. But Sam, I'm telling you, man, you like, you look at it like, and I'm not, I mean, I'm 45 and I was, I feel like I was 25 yesterday, 45 mm-hmm. young as shit. Your dad's 60, 60 young as hell. Like you, like you look at life and the, it, how we go through it as a duck hunter. You, 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 I'm doing the same thing daily that you are at 27. The same thing that you were when you were eight, were 12 at the canvas pack club. We're still doing the same thing. You, it's one of those things in life that you just love. You live it. You breathe it. It's, it means so much to a duck hunter to be a duck hunter. I'm sure fly fishermen feel the same way and golfers and wine club people. And (laughs) no, I'm not saying that there is, there's wine clubs and you get this shipment every month from the Andretti or from Mondavi or from Coppola. And I used to be part of them. And you're like, man, this is cool. And then you're at a golf course and you're in the cart and you got a cold beer and you're trying not to dog leg left it into the house at Lake Ridge or, and then you're, you know, you're in a swimming club and a bowling league and you got the bumper lanes in because you want your, you know, you want to make sure that you don't throw a gutter ball. Nothing in this world brings you together or gets you to know somebody on the level that duck hunting does. I promise you that. Agreed. I promise you that the time spent at a duck club in canvas back at Dan Morgan's house when when they're cooking a big pasta dinner and red wine's being flowing like the salmon of Capistrano. <laughs> and if you think about what you're learning about somebody on so many different levels, that's why you get affected when a hunter goes. Because they're not getting to do that with you anymore. You're selfish to the point where, wait a minute, I want to go hunt with him again. And then you're like, well, shit, he doesn't even get to go hunting anymore. It just bugs me. And I know that we all go, but gosh, damn, can't we go? And we're like 150 when we can't yeah. load a gun anymore. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Duck hunters never die. You ever seen that bumper sticker? Duck hunters never die. There's stickers out there. There's, there's words written on t-shirts that duck hunters don't die. They don't because they live on through all these other duck hunters because the life, the passion, the, the whole ideology of duck hunting is 
different than all other hunting, all other fishing. You can spend 12 rounds of golf a month with the same guy, and it's not going to do what the duck blind does to you therapeutically, socially. I mean that. Like, mm-hmm. people are going to call me out and go, you're an idiot. Like, you're looking way too much into it. If you really love duck hunting and the heritage and the past and what it is, okay, this culture, this blessing, this privilege that we live, there's nothing like it. And I mean that. Like, you you go to Arkansas and watch what happens in, in the Grand Prairie during duck season. It's amazing. Now, not saying that it doesn't happen in Boise and it doesn't happen on the Chesapeake Bay or the Eastern Shore or in Alberta. There's There's the duck hunting is going on everywhere. It's just really prolific in that area because there's such a congregation of duck hunters. There's no other culture like Stuttgart and the Grand Prairie. There's just not. But where I'm going with this is that the canvas back is Stuttgart. Mm-hmm. It's Max Prairie Wings in the desert with water that you can't drink and showers that you don't want to take because you're just so living life. You don't want to stop to even take a shower. That's what the canvas back does. That's what duck hunting does. That's why duck hunters trucks look the way they do. If they let it, let you get out of hand, because I've been in a lot of outfitters <laughs> trucks to where you're like, are you really like you really, have you not seen this? Are you blind? Okay, Stevie, let's clean this truck up a little bit. But the reason that our trucks get like that, the reason that our dashboards get that dusty and have so many hats on them is because we don't take the time to slow down because we can't, we don't want to miss any of this shit. And I mean that that's what duck hunting is. So when I bring up Rick and Ed and thank God their heritage lives long through guys like Darren and the, and, Fr- and the Frazier boys, you know, will they love hunting. They love it. They grew up out there. So that's what I'm trying to say is that I don't want to change the whole outlook of what the canvas back means, but that's part of the canvas back is that when you lose somebody there, you're losing a friend that you're used to seeing three days a week you know, for the, for three and a half, 120 days a year, 105 day season. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. So I don't know if you guys feel the same way about the duck hunting culture that I do, but I'll next week I'll be in Phoenix for spring training and I'll be in flip flops and drinking a cold bush light watching baseball, which I love. Right. And you hear that a lot, right? The dugout, the locker room. It's not like duck hunting baseball players love to be duck hunting because of what it brings it's just the therapy there's no competitiveness there can be if you want to get competitive but really it's like check your ego at the door shut up and watch this watch mother nature do this watch this dog do this watch that mallard watch that widgeon cut watch that wait watch this canvas wait a minute watch these can't wait there's a swamp whoa i mean think about what you get to experience at the canvas back club there's nowhere in the world like that. Once you've been on a roller coaster, you've been on a mall. You cannot get the same experience day in and day out at the canvas back. It's new every time you go duck hunting. Think about that. That is where I come from of this life of when people go, why do you love it so much? I'm like, I don't know. Let me just tell you a few reasons. And then they look at me like I'm an asshole because they just can't believe that the shit that just came out of my mouth. <laughs> well, and you know, the other part is there's no place safer than the duck blind you i don't put my head in anything else other than in the moment and the payoff is my dad gave it to me i'll give it to sam sam will give it to one of his kids and when you see that generational thing go on out there it's been going on out there for a long time and and that's that's one of the beautiful things of getting to be where my age is you know there's a lot of sunday mornings I might want to sleep in and watch a little football, but these younger guys, they're out there. 
and they're just grinding. And you, they're grinding, and there's and you bring up a great point, Sabini, is because there's different stages of. Okay, hold that thought. Okay, remember. Okay, I'm, I'm. I know exactly what you just said. I want to go back to this extra virgin olive oil. It's really <laughs> pissing me off. We should know this, man. My mom's Italian. Italian. Her I, last name's Filippone. You're I'm actually, I'm actually a little embarrassed that I don't know what it is, but but I know it's the best. If you think about, um, I'm going to read this to you. This is awesome. Hold on a second. Okay, extra virgin olive oil. The olives have been pressed to extract the oil. No heel or chemicals have been used. Oh, there it is right there. Huh? There's nothing that's been injected or penetrated the, the oil. It's, it's pure. What are you laughing at, dude? Are you going to start texting her right now, dude? No, he said penetrated. Oh, my God. Um, have been used during the extraction process, and the oil is pure and unrefined. Virgin. There it is. Pure. Pure. See, it's exactly what Madonna sang about. Exact. Do you know the words of that song, Sabini? No. Like a virgin. Touch for the very first time. <laughs> Extra virgin olive oil. Okay, so that was virgin. Extra virgin olive oil also denotes that the oil is free of defects of flavor or odor. This is evaluated by a trained sensory panel and cannot be detected by laboratory tests. So I want, I want to be on that panel. Yeah. Like that's extra virgin. Could you imagine if you got to say that like 300 times a day? Extra virgin. No, you're just virgin. <laughs> extra virgin. <laughs> you made the cut. You made the cut. You're an extra virgin. I think that that's really, uh, we should have known that. Pure. It's pure olive oil. I'm surprised I didn't. I'm a little ashamed of myself, but I'll, school, I'll school up. I, I don't know if I want the wine that you're supposed to bring me someday. It's probably going to be some Julio and Gallo or whatever. Oh, no. that, no, we're going to bring the cream. Was that good wine? Does it go with tacos? Well, are you coming tomorrow? Have you made up your mind? I think so. Oh, yes. We're going to have a good time tomorrow. So anyway, like you think about what you're saying about, oh, I'm not as mad at them anymore. And they're out there grinding. You want to think like, I can do that. I can, I still want to do that. And here, I love to hunt hard. But you, as, as, as in life, you go from everything centers around a coloring book to cartoons, to adolescence, to, you know, teenage years and high school and getting your first car and your first kiss and your first dance and your first Copenhagen and your first drink at a bonfire. And boom, there's all these stages of life. And in duck hunting, it's the same way, right? First you want to know, can I do that? Can I drive a boat? Can I, can I read a map? Can I find the place? Can I scout? Do I know what binoculars are? Can I take notes? Can I blow a duck call? Can I train a dog? Can I afford this? Can I buy a hunting license? Can I, can I identify all the different species of ducks, male and female? All, you know, all of that different thing. There's all these stages of duck hunting. And then that's, you know, that's the part that you need to know. All of those things are like, yeah, I'm going to learn how to blow a duck call. Yeah, I'm going to learn a mallard, you know, between a black duck or a redhead or a camsback, whatever. But there are these different mental states. And it's, it's a good question for Sam is like, where are you at as a duck hunter right now? Like, are you the guy that has to hold up a strap with feet, you know, in the, you know, feet in the knot, heads dangling. Do you like those heavy straps? Does it have to be a limit? Do you like the pile pick? Do you like the fact that you, that, uh, uh, what do they say that you just, God, there's a saying that's going around right now about 
about, you know, you got to pile them up and smiles, piles make smiles yeah. is what they say. And and I get it. Like when you go on a hunt, you know, you get a lot of people with that, that mindset, Tom and Sam, that you got to have a limit, you know, and there's in what your dad is talking about is that you're going to go through these different stages of duck hunting to where even when you get to where your dad is at 60, you do want to kill ducks. You want to see them work the decoys. You want to have something to pluck and eat, right? With the, the no, fat no. on and render it and the tenderloins, right? But where are you at? Are you are you so are you so focused right now on kill, kill, kill? No, not all. I mean, I think you'd be crazy to say that everyone doesn't want to be successful in the field. I mean, that's a, a big part of what they're out there, but that's definitely not what makes it for me. Um the big point that I'm at right now is still my dad was saying maybe I might be a little more angry at him, but I as long as I felt like I tried and I gave it my all, be it a still water day or a windy day or be I was ready to go in the morning or maybe I was still a little behind from the night before, as long as I tried and went out there and had fun, that's kind of where I'm at. And I think the putting a number on something always makes it super tough. And I learned that more especially when I started guiding because you get it's the limits 50 and then you shoot 48 and you might have a couple guys in the group that are like, oh, we didn't shoot a limit. It's like, come on, man. Like we were out here, we had sure a great shot day, better. good hide. Yeah, exactly. And so, no, to put to put a number on a day doesn't bother me anymore at all out there. So you're already just, past that at 27 years old. Yeah. Would you have said the same thing three weeks ago before you started texting this girl 17,000 times a day? Yes. <laughs> because I'm just making sure that your mind is clear when you're saying this. So you're telling me at 27, you've already gotten past that whole piles make smiles ideology. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I said, everyone, I still want to be successful. There's no doubt about it. But the success of the hunt, it doesn't measure the success of my day or my time out there. What pictures do you take on any given day at the Canvas Bat Club? Do you ever take a picture with your dad in front of the cabin or at city hall in the morning at the draw? Think about what I'm asking now. Think about all the experiences that we have the opportunity to document. And I know in today's world that you can document them, right? Some people don't give a shit. They don't need to take, like Dave Stanley has a wall of pictures, but you'd never see Dave with his camera going, boom, those pictures that are on his wall are printed out of hunts over the years that were probably given to him. And mm -hmm. I'm on that wall and I look at it, I'm like, God damn, was I handsome when I was 25. <laughs> I mean, like, good night. No, that's a joke. But you know what I'm saying is like, you have the yeah. opportunity to document a lot of different parts of your three days out there. If you get there on a Friday and leave on a Sunday. So two days, let's say two and a half days. You and your dad ever get a picture at City Hall? You got your cam on, you got your beanie on, you got your hot coffee with the steam coming out, or is it always a picture with you and the dead ducks? No, we take a lot of pictures, maybe not at City Hall, but we take a lot of photos together in the blind and at the cabin, um, cooking, sending them to my mom, letting her know we're having a good time. I've kind of gotten a little bit into photography for fun, so we take a lot of pictures out in the field of but not of the birds in the piles, like taking pictures of the dog or taking pictures of my dad coming in on the boat or walking across the marsh, maybe with a duck in his hand. But the photos about the setting and the sunsets and the mountains, the backdrops and everything else, not about, we very rarely, I think this year, maybe once or twice sat down and actually piled all the ducks up and took a photo. I think we did a couple of times because we were pretty excited. We had guests too. Yeah, two, two or three times. Maybe I think of all the hunts that I had this year, do I have a pile picture of? Isn't it funny how there's always been this mindset in hunting though, that if you don't have a picture and proof, it didn't happen because of what you said earlier in the podcast about how fishermen always say an eight incher is 
well, that's not even happening fishing a lot with you, Sam. But <laughs> like, if you're talking, if you're thinking about, if you're thinking about like this is as big as the fish was when it was really this big, right? Right. And if you think about, you know, well, if you don't have a picture of your seven greenheads with the band on it, there's no way that you kill them. You know what I'm saying? There's a yeah. lot of people that have to have that proof. I I like photography. I like pictures of the hunt, but I don't. I just have always challenged our guys to get away. And we obviously have, um, you see these pictures that Tom takes, the, all these pictures that you see on the walls here were taken by that, that guy that came in here and yelled at me earlier about the way that I was talking into the microphone, but he's an amazing photographer. So if you look at the pictures, there's not a ton of death. Yeah. Right. Look at how beautiful our life is without death, right? Like you can take cool pictures. You don't need, a strap or a pile to show what hunting and the culture of it means. You definitely don't need a, a gory picture of a coyote that's all bloodied up from a, you know, a 270 going through it. And you think the exit wound is worth showing in a picture. It's <laughs> right. stupid. It's asinine because I think hunters owe it to the, the birds to be more compassionate or to the animals, right. To respect them more. So that picture behind you, Tom, you see green heads hanging off at a tree in Arkansas, but look at the mural, look at the, look at the reflection. Yeah, that's cool, right? Very it's, cool. It's just a different, you know. You got the guy standing up against the, the the tree, and you got, you know, it's just kind of that whole the beauty of the hunt. You know what I mean? There's so much. There's so much visual stimulation in hunting that you, I just want to tell people like, don't just concentrate on that one last picture when the sun's down and you got all the birds in a pile and you stack them up perfect. We all done. We've all do it. Yeah. And it's a big part of it. We kill, we're killers. We kill and we're not ashamed of it, but there's a lot more to it than just that pile pick. And you agree with that? Yeah, I totally do. I mean, I, I, I have countless sunset pictures out there on the marsh uh, and it's just like a magical time. The last few minutes, uh, I got a really cool picture in our uh, hunting room of Sam and Ruby, his black lab. And we were hunting this pond called ward two one night and it turned totally purple and blue. And I said, stand still for a minute. <laughs> I took this picture. It's one of my favorite pictures. It's it's just, it's all blue and really colorful. And it's that evening I'll never forget. And then right in the center of Sam's chest is a duck call that's orange. <laughs> that's just, it's the only thing you can see. You know, it's a silhouette. So it's, 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 it's pretty cool. It is. And, you know, you hear about, you hear Sam say, you know, he started to dabble in photography. I don't know of a better lifestyle or, or experience for a photographer of all the sites that you're going to see in the duck, in the duck blind. Think about all the opportunity of the photos that you can take it. Like this room, look at, you got, you know, that archery pictures in Ely, right? That rifle picture below it is down by Pioch. The picture behind your dad is in Arkansas. That picture's in California. That picture's in Fallon, Nevada. That picture's in Nashville, Tennessee. And obviously you guys know Lake Tahoe behind me. But if you think about, you know, photography and, and the memories of being able to document something, the, the, the whole thing about the proof is in the pudding and you didn't kill a big deer if you don't have proof of it. And, and, and you're not that good of a hunter if you don't have a, you know, a bunch of pictures on your wall or a bunch of mounts, there's all these different strokes for different folks. And I think that photography of you being able to go through and say, you ever seen that part of Kansas? I mean, have you, did you know that that's happening in Kansas, right? I'm not asking you personally, because yeah, I know, yeah, you know, but look at that picture. That's Kansas, America. Crazy. You don't, you, you, you never believe what lesser Canada geese are doing in, in Kansas 
you know, and you're like, man, that's why we have a photographer around because we hit, we have that memory for life. And then I was, I was talking with Kelly powers who you guys know that name and goose calling, um, in Tennessee a couple weeks ago. And he said, man, I just don't, I never took enough pictures. Never, never, even at contests, man, I'd love to have pictures of me and Tim and you and all of us on stage with our plaques and our meet John David and I went to Utah one time and won every contest in duck and goose. We mopped up. He pretty much carried us, obviously. <laughs> Not afraid to admit that. Sam's been on those trips. We won every individual and team contest. We every plaque was made out of like this table wood right here. It was enough to build a raft. We're like, should we build a boat and float back to Reno? <laughs> and and John Davis like, I don't even know if I want these. And I'm like, I don't either. Never hung them up. Never had them. John David's World Championship trophies here. His sister Katie's World Duck Championship when she won the the female the World Women Junior. It's in my house. They don't even give a shit. I don't either. It's like, why is your trophy still here? I thought you were moving. Do you not want these back? <laughs> they never once. It's like that that documentation didn't mean anything to them. Like a picture of the one of you've seen the famous picture in Dave's cabin of Alan Stanley and J Jason Bonds and John David and David up on the stage at this at Stuttgart when they all qualified for the worlds. Do you guys know that picture I'm talking about that's under the big Winchester and the big Max Prairie Wings banner? Yes. And all of the Stanley males are standing there and they all qualified for the worlds. Alan Crazy. and David and John David. And Kelly's point, Kelly Power's point was like, man, just a quick picture. We could go back and say, I posted a picture yesterday. Did you guys see that picture I posted I yesterday of I Phil and that. I? Yeah. Nobody knows that, you know, that I was, I mean, I've been friends with the Robertsons since 1999. Way before Duck Dynasty, I was bothering Phil and Jason, Willie and Red Dog and all those guys way back in the day. That picture that I posted was taken in Eastland, Texas, right where y'all at in Haskell County, where John David guides. That picture was taken at Benny Prince's. If you watch any of the Duckman videos from like three to seven, a lot of the footage was filmed in Texas in the peanut fields at Benny Prince's. His shooting widgeon and all the cattle ponds. So I'm down there and then I'm holding Copenhagen. I never chewed Copenhagen. I couldn't keep it packed. I mean, if I chewed, I would have a long cut, but I never really got into it. Those Robertson boys, I mean, that shit was like just vitamins to them, right? So, <laughs> but anyway, that picture, people are like, man, I didn't know you knew those guys. And it was just, it was, they're just duck hunters, right? They're just yeah. duck hunters from Louisiana that are cooler than heck. Great people. But that picture, taking the time that morning, Phil cooked pancakes. He's up barefooted in his camo pants and his, his six pocket cotton pants that we all used to wear and a cotton twill button down shirt with pockets in both chests. And he's cooking pancakes on a griddle. Benny's sitting on the couch. Jason, me are rapping. And my dad was with me. Pops got to go with me. And we're down in Texas with Red Dog. And the, I got tons of other pictures I could post of the piles of the ducks. And I chose to post that one because it was such a special morning mm -hmm. of just camaraderie and kinship and discussion and just talking with what arguably became the biggest face in the world in the history of duck hunting with Duck Dynasty and his political stances. I mean, shit, he just did a Trump rally where him and Willie got up on stage and announced Donald Trump to the Louisiana. And so you think about it, like those pictures, I'm so glad that we took the time because my dad was like, he might as well have been a, 
a tourist, you know, like remember Caddyshack, relax, wang, it's a parking lot. He's taking pictures of everything. I don't know if that's racist or not. It's not meant to be. It's a movie quote, but you remember, he's like, I'll take a box of those, a box of naked ladies. Give me two of those. Hey, relay, wang, relax. Looks good on you. No offense. Did you get a free bowl of soup with that hat? And, but anyway, my dad was wang, man. He had that camera around his neck and he was taking, he would stop us all the time, pose and we get tired of it. But now I know what he was doing. Right. Cause what else do you have? So, Priceless. It, yeah, it's priceless. So yeah, those pictures of the piles are cool. But all the other shit, I took a picture the other day at City Hall with Les Nesbitt. He's happier than a freaking clam in mud, man. He's just smiling. The way that he acted when Alyssa and and, and, and and Wade Platt's daughter Lucy killed their first ducks that day. 79 years old he turned that day. It was his birthday. Remember we yeah. he blew out the cameras that day? Yeah. He was crying. And he jumped up in the boat like the athlete that he truly is at 79 and hugged those girls and hugged me like it was his first duck hunt. And we got a big picture with Les. Now, that picture is me. How many, how much meaning is in that picture with Remy Warren, Allie, Wade's wife, her daughter, Lucy, myself, my daughter, Alyssa, Les Nesbitt, Mm -hmm. Tom Rashashin took the picture. How, what all, what meanings are in that picture? Less 79 years old. Alyssa's nine. He's 70 years older than her. And they both got to experience that in the duck. You, I guess you could do that with a hole in one. It's take a picture up here of these goofy ass pants on that we wear. If I saw myself in clothes like that, I'd kick my own ass. <laughs> Happy Gilmore. But you know what I mean? This, and I'm not making fun of golf, but what else? where else do you get that, Tom? Well, you, you just don't. I mean, the, the whole duck hunting experience is community. It's just such a community. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's generations, it's friendship. It's, it's, you know, there's probably people that get along the best there and then there could be competitors in their industry, you know, who knows, Uh, but, but it's just, it's just such a community that it just binds everybody together and everybody is equal. You know, everyone is equal out duck hunting. I love the way you say that. And you see this picture here, he's famous, right? There's a lot of famous people that hunt celebrity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? You're out there with him. He's a nothing. And he'll admit it. Like this is the world to him up against a tree, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the dog shaking, the water coming off of it, the wood ducks flying by the duck calls going off mm-hmm. the boat motors. You just look at it and they're like, Hey, teach me how to blow that duck call. Hey man, what kind of gun? This is, you know, that's not their world, right? All of it because they're so busy. They get out there and it brings them to their knees. They're already humbling. They're already humble people, but no matter how humble you are or how arrogant you are, the duck marsh will humble your ass. It will bring you to your knees, not because you did anything wrong, just because of the spectacle of it, the community of it, the, the, you just said that, you know, you're nothing out there. None of these guys are, they are selling out arenas of 40,000 people watching them sing a song that they wrote. And then the meet and greet lines are two miles long. I've seen how you react to Drake white. We love these guys, right? Oh yeah. And then they get out there and you're just like, we're all the same. You just said it. We're all the same. It doesn't matter if you're George Strait or George Bush or George Washington or George Williams from down the street that works for the Reno disposal, emptying garbage cans. Right. We're all the same in the waiters. And that's what duck hunting is so badass. Nobody cares that you're kid rock. And the best part about it is that neither does kid rock. He's just out there going, Holy shit. Look at this. Right. Give me a cigar. 
give me a freaking, just give me more of this. Yeah, this it's, it's where it, they want to be. There's just a sense of mother nature just touching you when you're out there. You know? Is that his girlfriend's name? Uh, I don't have a good read on that yet. <laughs> We're going to find out at Taco It is, night. but think about it, Taco Night. But Mother Nature touches you. That's a great way to put Mother it. Mother Nature You should write you Allmark there. cards. Well, I don't know. Maybe. But <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Why? I don't know. But no. say, keep going, Tom. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you. Just, just Mother Nature touches you, and you're out there, and just the little sounds and the dog, and you know, you're just sitting there, and you kind of start losing your... Your concentration, all of a sudden the dog just looks up and makes a little arcing path. And you're like, well, we just got buzzed and the dog saw us got buzzed. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, damn. <laughs> yeah. It was supposed to be go time and now it's schmo time. You're like, right? oh, shit. <laughs> right. But again, but what's cool about duck hunting though is that you might get another opportunity. Oh, yeah. Yes. And the other part that's cool about it when you say community is that a turkey hunt, you're up against a tree by yourself. Deer hunt, you're up in a stand by yourself with a tree that's swaying in the wind and you're like trying to stop a deer and listen for leaves and all that stuff. But you're by yourself duck blind. You got freaking coffee going and biscuits mm -hmm. and gravy and talking and mm -hmm. you might miss a few, but you might see a few, you might work a few. There's just something about the lifestyle that is unlike any other. I don't, I don't know what it is, Tom, but I, I sit there and talk to, Jim Shockey, which is probably, I mean, he's done it all, right? He's hunted in freaking most places we go to war at. Like, nobody hunts in Afghanistan except Jim Shockey and John LaMonaco. But, I mean, I know people hunt over there. I'm just saying that he's been there, done that. And I look at him, I'm like, I would much rather go to Canvasback and shoot at a duck and see a mallard and hear it and watch a dog swim across that marsh at, at, you know, at one of the ponds. I haven't said any, you're the ones that said the name of the ponds. I'm not giving away any secrets in this podcast, but I guess there is no secrets out there. I'm sorry, John and Dave for him giving away all the secrets of the new members that are going to come on. Freeman, <laughs> Freeman, Freeman, <laughs> go to Freeman. Um, I, I want to look at Jim Shockey, Sabini boys and go, you can have that moose. I, it's beautiful up there. The Yukon's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure Russia's beautiful when you go over there and kill those big moose and those big bears. I'm sure Nigeria and South Africa and Matt and, and, and Tanzania and all of the countries in Africa on the continent of Africa are awesome, but I want to be in Arkansas. I want to be in Canvasback. I want to yeah. be in the Butte sink. Is that not, is that ignorant to be like, Hey, you want to go to Rome? I'm like, no, I want to go to Arkansas. I mean, maybe Rome, Georgia, if there's ducks, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? You want to go to Paris? Yeah. Paris, Texas. If there's ducks, I don't want to go to the Eiffel tower. Now, is it beautiful? Yeah. It's, it's, it's maj majestic, but not as majestic as the flooded timber of Arkansas. That's the way a duck hunter thinks where, where else would, would, if would, I don't barely even put in for a deer tag anymore with the fear of getting one. <laughs> right. Gonna ruin the duck season. Yes. It's isn't that isn't that a shitty way to think, or is that a good is that how duck hunters think? I don't think you can get it out of my system. I don't care about shooting a, a, a Cape Buffalo. I'm not gonna fly 22 hours to shoot at that thing. More power to you if you do. I love you for it. Hunting is hunting, it brings a lot of money into Africa, it feeds a lot of the locals and the tribes there. Good. But I'm going to the Yellowstone river in Montana, right outside of Billings. And I'm going to hunt ducks coming off the corn and the sugar beets. Mm -hmm. yep. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it, you know, I remember a few years ago, Sam was younger, early teens and we put in for some tags and he said, dad, we didn't draw anything. I said, more duck hunting, more duck. hunting. <laughs> you know, we always, we, we always fall back on it. And we, 
You know, I mean, there was, there was years that I didn't even put in for it because I'm like, you know what? I don't really care about deck or deer hunting this year. I'm, I'm just going to go duck hunting. I know, and every year you're on that application deal and on, <laughs> on for your tags, right? And I put in for lots of states, Arizona and Utah and Nevada, sometimes Colorado, Wyoming. And I always find that cursor and that mouse moving over to <laughs> Just buy your points. Just buy your points. And I just right. keep finding myself clicking that button like, well, you know, I got a lot of points. I'll probably get a pretty good sheep tag. I'm ah, just going to buy another point. Maybe I'll go kill that. Let's kill the sheep at 78 at 11,000 feet. It was the last last animal he had to kill for his, you know, his grand slam. Boone and Crockett, super slam. He killed every mammal in the con- in the in North America with, you know, he's in the Boone and Crockett Hall of Fame. Wow. You ought to see his game room right up the road here. Yeah. In the, in the desert sheep was his last one. And then last year he went to kill his second stone at 78 again, 14th day, the last evening of the 14th day. He spent 14 days on that mountain at 78 years old, walking seven to 10 miles a day, straight up shell mountain. I mean, that's a stud, right? And he's like, you got to go do it. And I'm like, "Mm, probably not. Like I'd love to maybe watch you do it on a tv screen right but it's yeah. like why i'm not leaving during duck season people are like uh, it's january i'm going to the coast i'm going some of my buddies down in california go down to pismo beach for new year's eve and i'm like you're crazy That's, that could be the best day of the season what do you what are you scheduling a vacation for and then these sons of bitches that have the audacity to schedule a wedding between oh. october and february don't you want to punch him <laughs> right in the head i mean i would never hit a woman especially when you gotta go I, you got, you know, and it's like, will you be my best man? Um, when's the wedding? November 18th. Absolutely not. But I will be there in spirit. Right? right? Like I will be. So Sammy, these are some hints that we're giving you that when you do marry oh, this girl. Oh God. He, he okay? knows better. He, he knows better. There's like two months in my life to work to get married. Maybe two months. Now marriage and having a maid is awesome. And March. I, and I think that it's a great deal that you're, that you're head over heels about this girl. I think it's unbelievable that you're going to tell your dad tonight about the first kiss that, ha- <laughs> that happened during a movie. <laughs> Pulled right. the old popcorn trick, huh? Did you get it? <laughs> no, buddy. Um, I, think, I think there's a lot to be said for a place like the Canvas Pack. I think there's more to be said about the fact that you guys, I'm envious of a guy like Sam to get to do what he does with a guy like you because when you lose that, and I'm going to end this podcast by saying when you lose that, it's a mother effer. Yep. When it's gone, and that's why I feel for guys like Darren. That's why I got so, you know, deep into the part about Rick because the legacy of their kids is awesome. Okay. The legacy that they left for their kids is awesome. But I still understand that their kids never get to hunt with their dad again, which is a big freaking deal. So mm-hmm. what you guys have is why you drink that green drink that you sent me the video of the other day when you couldn't figure out the cap to your it was upside down well guys you know last night was a little blurry um he tried nine times on this video to get this blender cap on i'm like tom it's upside down i was talking to my phone like tom could hear me tom the the blade's pressing into your hand for a reason turn it over the blade goes on the inside (laughs) so anyway guys are envious you'd be crazy not to be envious of a relationship that you guys have that you get to share that many days a year at a place as special as the canvas back in a blind as special as free men <laughs> right <laughs> like it's the only pawn that canvas back but think about it there's so much to be said about that 
It's special. It's not to be taken for granted. And when you when you sit down and think about it, and you're when you're bartending tonight, do you bartend tonight? Yeah. Do you wear suspenders with all the flair on it? How many pieces of flair do you have? Zero. You I don't, don't have even, anything that says like <laughs> "Welcome to Cancun" on it. I don't even like tucking in my shirt. Aruba, Jamaica. <laughs> Ooh, I wanna take you to Bermuda, Bahama. Come on, pretty mama. Remember Kokomo in the movie yeah. Cocktail? Oh, I yeah. bet you watch Cocktail three days a week to learn how to flip bottles like Tom Cruise. Nope. Admit it. No. Can you do that flare shit where you flip them all like they do? Do you want them all in one piece at the end? <laughs> well, probably. <laughs> then no. When you're bartending tonight, think about that, man. And I'm sure you do. Oh, But the, the maturing process of hunting and duck hunting is so awesome. And when you think about what you have, it's really cool looking from the outside in that you guys get to do this. You're a healthy dude, Tom. You work out. You stay in shape. You drink wine that's good for the ticker. Um, you drink whiskey that's good for, I don't know, uh, just for socializing. And I think I look better. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of women end up looking better, Tom, is what you're trying to say. I'm only trying, trying to stay after the one I'm married to, bud. Kim, hey, Kim, you heard it here first on the Foul Life Podcast. There he's, you go. He's committed. Um, in a, in a, I always say this, in a marriage... Someone will marry up, and someone will have to marry down. And she married down. She made probably a couple big mistakes, but she get, <laughs> she's getting through it after 32 years. She'll figure it out. Tom, is that a new boat? <laughs> Honey, I was going to tell we you. We had that one. <laughs> we had that one. I shared that story with uh, with Chad. <laughs> she goes duck hunting with us, and we're getting her, you know, she's like, I want to go and watch the dogs. And I said, okay, come on, let's go. And we're in the dark. Everybody's getting excited at the boat ramp. It's getting the boats going. I said, you get in that boat. We'll be over here. And she looked at me and she says, is that a new boat? I said, no, we got it yesterday. <laughs> and did she go, who's we? Oh, yeah. Who's we? The funniest part of of, of uh, Kimmy is when we first got married, I said, hunting and fishing is just great. It's the outdoors. You're, you're going to love it. She, she enjoyed being outdoors, too. And I said, here's the deal. Hunting doesn't cost any money because we, we already own the guns and the fly rods. I hear that. A lot every year when she's writing checks for clubs oh, and yeah, dues and stuff. She says, money. oh, here's that sport. It doesn't cost any money anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's a more expensive sport in the world than Woo. duck hunting. And it's expensive now. It is. What kind of gear you wear? Banded. I like that shirt. Your dad didn't until I got on him. I mean, I had to train. I had to trade wine to get him to wear a jacket. <laughs> You know, I'm like, I'll give you this jacket if you give me some wine. <laughs> we got a delivery coming tomorrow. Oh, it's going to be at taco night? Oh, yeah. Wait till you meet the girl. I'm excited to meet her. She's sick. Is she? No. She's still coming? <laughs> Is she still coming? Yeah. I can't as wait. As long as Tom doesn't release his podcast for tomorrow. I can't wait for you. To, I cannot <laughs> wait to see you up there, your hands shaking, trying to roll up a burrito for her. You're just going to be, and just, oh man, you're going to be, I can't wait to watch it. I might document it tomorrow. Oh, good. You guys are going to be out by the pool. You better warn her, Sam. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, this is probably not the right crew for a first date. <laughs> yeah, and mom's coming. <laughs> oh, this is going to be perfect. I did tell her about that. This is going to be perfect. Perfect. Tom Sabini, Sam Sabini, thank you. Congratulations. Um, it's awesome that you guys get to experience the experiences that you get to experience at the Canvas Pack Duck Club. It is that place on earth that everybody should get to drive through at least, read the road signs, go to a draw. Dunkin' Donuts was there this year. I mean, they're they were they're a necessity. Donuts and duck hunting go together, and they're carb-free donuts. We need to come up with that idea. Well, we, we go off that green drink when we go to the hunting club. Um, Sam and I are going shopping in the morning. I'm getting, what is it? It's kale, broccoli, asparagus, 
apple juice, banana, blueberries, spinach, spinach. You blend it all up with four ice cubes. You slam it, and you're saying it tastes good. It's unbelievable. All right, I'm kidding. Mickey Lucas, it's it's the Mickey morning drink. Mickey Lucas, good friend of ours, uh, he came up with it. I got about four or five good people on it right now. That guy calling me right there, that's the president of California Waterfowl. He's probably going to talk to me about this little post I was going to make about CWA. It's going to be a good one. I, I didn't know if it got approved. But I am. I'm going to drink this green drink. We're going to have a nice taco bar tomorrow. We're going to have a margarita. La, 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 la. Take no, it, Sam. I don't, have, I don't you. know. You don't know that song? <laughs> no. You ever heard of the Big Bopper and Buddy Holly and Richie Valens? Yeah. Waylon Jennings was going to be on that plane, you know. La, 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 bumba. Take it. I still, I mean, I recognize the song, I still don't know it. Okay, let me try one more before we leave. Okay, here it comes. Um, Amarillo by morning. That's the part I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's one for you Italianos. Okay, you ready? My grandpa was best friends with this guy. His name was Dino Crucezzi. He grew up in Steubenville, Ohio. He's first generation American. He later moved to Vegas and became Dino Martino, and then he stayed there, and my grandpa moved to Vegas with him, and then my grandpa, Carmen Philippone, ended up moving to Reno and building the Carl Silver Club, and he was the man there in the casino for years until he passed away in 83, but this song, you better know it. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's... Me. Oh, Amore. <laughs> when the pasta fuzzle makes your eyes start to drool, you're in love. Sam, you <laughs> let me think of one more song. She's got a smile that it seems to me reminds me of childhood memories where everything was as fresh as a bright blue sky. Now and then when I see her, remember in the movie bro, Step Brothers, <laughs> take it. <laughs> The Foul Life Podcast, thank you so much for everybody listening and tuning in. Tell a friend. Please tell them to subscribe. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Find us on all of your podcast listening platforms. Thank you to our partners, Federal Premium, Black Cloud. Thank you to Oakley Eyewear. Please check out new episodes of The Foul Life TV airing right now exclusively. There's a t-shirt right there on the Outdoor Channel. Tom Savini is wearing a Foul Life t-shirt. You can find all of our designs and merchandise at thefowllife.com. JargonGameCalls.com for the icebreaker, the small talk, the loudmouth, the new chit-chat, all of our jargon duck calls and game calls, apparel, hats, beanies, shirts, hoodies. You can also check out ThisLifeAin'tForEverybody.com, AveryOutdoors.com, and Banded.com. And we have a new brand that we're getting ready to launch. We just got it federally registered with the United States patent and trademark office the uspto it's now a registered trademark i will be letting that name out of the barrel next week when we launch our new brand but be on the lookout for us in your kitchens in your backyards because you know we're all backyard aficionados on our traeger grills so look out for our wild eating and our wildlife preparation processing and butchering and uh, look for some new knives coming from gerber we're proud of our association with them we have so much going on we're so proud of it we're so humbled by it thank you all so much for listening tom please hit that button this song is by the rock band from idaho falls idaho united states of america todd thompson on the vocals i wrote it with tom todd it's called my foul life you can find it on itunes right now thank you all so much <laughs>